We have been in a uh, uh, series called Heart of Worship, and it's been this journey through the Psalms as we, um, in our finitude, try to grasp on to the infinite God, and we find ourselves in very deep waters. And we especially find ourselves challenged in many ways as we try to grasp on to God. Our senses are challenged. As we get closer to God, one of the the things that is is primarily challenged is this idea of things being black or white. We like to think of things as black or white because that's safe. But as we get closer to God, we realize that it's a little more complex than this. And it challenges our mindset. And the first time my mindset was challenged on this was really when I went to, to, to Iraq the first time in 2005. And you go and, and you deploy and, and, and you, you deploy for the cause of freedom. Yet as you, as you liberate a people, they don't embrace that liberation or, or it opens it up, itself up to something different. Or you're, you're fighting for, for your, your brother and sister, yet it, it means something else in a political uh, realm. I'm not making a political statement here. All I'm saying is as you get closer to war, it becomes complex. It's not easy. It's just not black or white. There's more to it. And as you get closer to God, things get a little more complex. I mean, God trans- transcends time, space, and matter. And we are finite, and we're trying to grasp on to this infinite God. And we soon find that life in the cross gets a little complex. And we find ourselves embracing the both end, or the both end emerges. And as Christians, we stand in this complex intersection of the cross where the tension of suffering and victory calls to demonstrate total trust in God, praising Him as we await the fulfillment of the kingdom promises. We live in this already but not yet state. There's victory already, but yet things aren't quite exactly as they should be. And all of us find ourselves in this tension. And we have a choice. We have a choice in how we are to respond. And today's message, the title of today's message is The Complex Intersection of the Cross. And so if you're not only already there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 22. Now Psalm 22 is a psalm of lament. But it's not just a psalm of lament. It's a complex psalm of lament. You see the psalmist David, he expresses this lament, this cry. Yet he talks himself out of it. And then at the end, the lament shifts to total praise for God. And David is really experiencing or or demonstrating or explaining this experience that he's having as he flees Saul or perhaps as he flees Absalom, his son. Yet as we read this, we enter into it and we realize that we feel in our lives, in our everyday, some of the things that David felt. But then as we continue on reading, we realize that David speaks of things that he could have ne- he never experienced, that he could not have known. And, and, w- and when we read the Bible backwards with a New Testament lens, we see that David is speaking of Christ. So in some mystical way, David's experience, our experience, and Jesus' experience just intersects. And there's tension there. And we feel it. And today what I want to do is I want to look at four aspects of this complex intersection of life and the cross. 
Look how we are to respond with a heart of worship. So let us pray. Father, we thank you, we bless you for this time that we get to just dig into your word and explore the vastness of who you are, your heart. I entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Fill us. Open the eyes of our heart so we can get to know you more and more. So we love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection in the agony of the cross. When I was in Iraq, one of the missions that I had was we were to go on the Syrian border, me and my, my reconnaissance platoon, and we went on the Syrian border to do some reconnaissance mission, and we had the whole weight of the U.S. force, military force behind us, but we ran out of water. And as I called, there was radio silence. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to die with no water. And we have the, all the whole weight of the military, U.S. military behind us. But yet, it means nothing at this point. And, and sometimes in Christ, we could, we could feel this. We feel this complex intersection. We are, we are a beloved child of God. But we feel the agony of abandonment or alienation or the worst silence. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And some of us in this room, we feel forsaken. Because life is not going the way that we think it should go. We're not where we should be. I mean, just a few, I'm about ready to turn 40. I, I know it surprised you because I'm so good looking, but <laughs> I had one of those freak out moments. I'm going to turn 40. Half my life's over with. And Erica snapped me out of it, thank God. Um, but my point is, is, some of us feel life is not going the way it should go. Our families aren't going the way that they should go. Our kids are not doing the things they should do. We're not doing the things that we should do. And we have this, this anxiety, we have this fear. And we cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the worst is when we don't hear anything. Isn't it so hard when you, you're not really good at expressing yourself, but you, you gather up all this intestinal fortitude and you pour out your heart to somebody and they just sit there and you're like, I just poured my heart out to you. How do you respond? You usually respond in anger, like, come on! Or you respond where you just shut down, and you're just like, I'm done. How are, we, how are we to respond to God when we cry out and we feel like he's not listening? We're called to worship. We're called to worship and have a heart of worship. We see that a heart of worship trusts in the sovereign will of God. Verse 3 says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises and our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. We read in Exodus, the children of Israel cry out. And it says, God, listen to them. God is listening. He's listening to us. And I want to encourage you that he's listening, and he lets nothing go to waste. There's nothing that goes to waste in the economy of God. We see that a heart of worship cries out in a Christ-centered confidence. Verse 5 says, 
To you they cried out and were saved. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. We have a high priest, Jesus, that could sympathize with us. He stood at the very friction point of the cross. And he cried out. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the full weight of the agony of sin was just bore upon him. And the day before, he, he, as he stepped through it, knowing that the cross was coming, he cried out in the garden, sweating blood. Yet he trusted the will of the Father. And because of this, we read in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find, and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I have to ask you, what do you need to boldly go to the throne of grace with right now at this moment? You could cry out. He's listening. Trust him. Second, we see that the heart of worship stands in the complex intersection and the humiliation of the cross. It's been interesting, and it was interesting, going back and forth to Iraq or Afghanistan and and I was, I, I, I received so much public um, um, exaltation. People would come up to me and, and just thank me for my service. I can remember walking in my uniform in the, in the airport and some guy came up to me, shook my hand, and he wrote me a check and he gave me a check. And I was like, wow. And another time I was walking, this lady runs up to me with this big bag, and it's a big bag of booze, and she hands me the bag and she says, have a great night. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, it was, the support was unbelievable. Yet there was people in my life, I can remember one particular person as I explained how I felt about my time in combat. They humiliated me and, and made me feel like I was a monster. And there was this tension here. We feel this tension in our walk with Christ. This complex intersection includes being vertically exalted in Christ, yet being horizontally humiliated because of Christ. We read verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock, they ridicule me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And that's the worst when someone shakes their head at you. They don't even say anything. They just do that shaking the head thing in disgust. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him all sarcastically. And being ridiculed is the hardest thing to deal with. And for us, at this complex intersection, we have this, this relationship, this message of hope that lifts us up so high. We're new creations in Christ, and we feel it as the Holy Spirit works in us. That there's those relationships, those close relationships that, that we are ridiculed because of that. We're mocked because of it. We have a choice as we stand at this complex intersection. We can allow these feelings of humiliation ignited by the enemy to dictate our worship. Or we can trust and cling to Christ that much more. There's a choice there. We see that a heart of worship trusts in the faithfulness of God. Verse 9 says, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breasts, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. And our Lord was ridiculed and taunted 
and died for the very ones that were mocking him. Yet he trusts in the faithfulness of the Father. And he knew that humiliation would precede exaltation and that his glory would be restored. But for that to happen, he would have to bear the cross for the sake of the other, for our sake. And friends, he is calling us to this ministry. He's calling us to follow him in this faithfulness. He's calling us to bear the reproach of the cross for the sake of the other, and it's going to cost us. I don't want to I don't want to paint this with a rose-colored lens or puppy dogs and rainbows. It's going to cost us. But our election is secured by the blood of Christ and sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we will endure. So I have to ask you, what is holding you back? Is it fear? I'm afraid, Brian. I don't want to do that. That scares me to, to, to be humiliated. I don't want to have those feelings. They're icky. Maybe it's pride. I don't deserve this. I deserve this, not that. And I find it very interesting that we're so bold for so many things. I mean, drive around and you'll see people with flags of every sort. They'll have flags of the, the, the sports teams they like. They're bold about telling you what, what, what they're all about. I, the other day, Erica and I were in Market Basket and we were leaving and the bagger wanted to tell Erica his political leanings. It's like, dude, just bag our groceries. People are so bold. Yet when it comes to be identified, being identified in Christ, we shrink back. It's like we don't think that we should, we should we deserve that or, or, or we should be able to bear the reproach of that. Yet we forget what Jesus told us. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. The cross is a, a call to a radical emptying of yourself and being identified in his humiliation right now. But, but, later being exalted in Christ. Many of you, many people have asked me, um, why do you wear the stole? And what does it mean? So I just figured I'd tell you, because everyone's asking. So the stole represents the yoke of Jesus, the yoke of Christ. And it's a, it's a physical reminder for me as I, as I take the pulpit that it's all about Jesus. So if there's a temptation not to preach the gospel, that I have this physical reminder that I work for Jesus. That's all about him. And there's things in our life that we could set up so that we are reminded of that. We could schedule our day. We could move our day, the rhythm of our day. We could, we could do things that remind us that it's all about Jesus and being identified in Jesus to remind us that we are not greater than our master. So what are those things for you? I encourage you to figure that out and set them up and remember that although we are humiliated and we bear the reproach of the cross now, we are also resurrected and exalted in Christ in the kingdom to come. Third, we read, a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection in the deliverance of the cross. This complex intersection includes Suffering the effects of sin and death, 
but yet being fully delivered from sin and death. Verse 11 says, trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hand and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. Now, this is a portion of the psalm where this is not David's experience. He's standing on his tippy toes and he's seeing something. Not quite sure what it is, but as we read the Bible backwards, we see that he's talking about Christ. This is the experience of Jesus Christ. And we feel this, don't we? We feel sometimes like people are encircling us. I can remember being a Christian and the first time I was confronted with my mortality. We, we were at a truck, truck stop in Iraq, and we were called to, to grab some bad guys. And we just happened to time it the wrong, at the wrong time. And there we were encircled by our enemy. And I remember having this, this debate, and if you've, never, if you've never gotten real with yourself about your mortality, it's one of the strangest conversations you'll ever have. And I thought to myself, Okay, if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. But I was yet angry. Why am I even dealing with this right now? And I was freaked out. I was surprised by these feelings. And many of us are surprised by suffering. When we suffer, we're surprised by it. And Jesus knows he will be delivered by the Father, yet he still suffers. And as much as he wanted deliverance from his suffering, he knows that the path to ultimate deliverance includes being nailed to a cross. It, include being, it includes suffering. And I want to encourage you, because I know some of you are dealing with a lot of things right now. But Jesus' suffering was not an accident. And because his suffering wasn't an accident, our suffering's not an accident. And I know that's a controversial statement some people are going to sit here and you're thinking in your head, you don't even know what I'm suffering with, Brian, and I, I don't. But Jesus does. And I want to tell you that suffering outside of the gospel, outside of the cross, makes no sense. Suffering outside of the cross means nothing because it's just suffering. It's needless. But in light of the cross, we see that suffering is transformed into glory. And that's part of the good news of the cross. And Jesus paves the way with that. He shows us, he demonstrates that. We see that a heart of worship trusts in the saving power of the cross. Verse 19 says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. Come quickly to help me, deliver me, rescue me, save me. And we seek deliverance from some really powerless places, people, and things. Just go and look on Facebook. Look in YouTube. Look at the news. We put our faith and our trust in people, places, and things that are impotent. And sometimes we give false hope. Let's just call it what it is. Sometimes we give people false hope. But here's the thing. Deliverance Rescue and saving are only possible in this life and the life eternal in Christ. 
That's it. And we could cry out to God right now. We could say, God, take this away from me. And he's listening. And he might take it away. And he has the power to take it away. But he might not. But we will be delivered eternally at some point. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we have sinned. All of us have sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. Don't miss this. If you're just not paying attention to me, and you're like, okay, here we go again. Listen to what I'm saying. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't even deserve deliverance, yet God, clothed in flesh, stepped down, and he entered into our human experience. That's a message. That's something that no, no one else could say. Jesus is the only one, the unique one to say that. He enters into our suffering, to our experience, and he's nailed to a cross. And he suffers the full weight of our sin and the wrath of the Father, the wrath that we deserved. And we put our faith and trust in him. Yes, our sin is wiped away clear, but we are given his righteousness. And he was resurrected three days later. We put our faith and trust in him. We are too resurrected to new life. Not just now, but life eternal. And that's the good news of the gospel. We're ultimately delivered in Christ. Finally, we see a heart of worship stands in the complex intersection and the victory of the cross. One of the final operations that I did in Iraq, the first time I, de I deployed, um, was, this, was this big campaign in, in, in towards the Syrian border. And we went in, and within the first three days, we had already secured the key terrain to win the battle. We'd already did it. Yet, months later, the fighting kept on continuing. So, in some way, the battle had already been won. But yet, there were still skirmishes that were happening months and months later. And the complex intersection of the cross includes living in the victory of the now. We have victory in Christ now. Yet we rest in the victory to come. We have an ultimate, a consummation of this victory when he comes back. And when we fully embrace this, this changes how we see things. And everything in our life transforms from just this mere existence to an opportunity for this white-hot worship. When we rest in the victory of now and the, and the victory to come. In a heart of worship, we see as missional in our everyday. We see verse 22. Now, this is where the psalm shifts. So the psalmist David has been lamenting, and he's talking himself out of this lament. And then verse 22 happens, and all of a sudden, it's just praise. And he just does 10 verses of praise. He says, I will declare your name to my people, to the people you've put in my life, and in the assembly to the greater group of people that you've put in my life. I will praise you. Posterity will serve you. Future generations will be told about you. And we see that living in the victory of the cross sees everything, everywhere, every person, every generation has an opportunity to gather worshipers for God. Everything. You are where you're at because you're called to gather worshipers for God, for our Lord Jesus. We see that a heart of worship submits to the Lordship of Christ in our everyday. Verse 28 says, For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
Living in the victory of the cross means living under a monarchy. The monarchy of King Jesus, and I want to tell you that it's true freedom. That doesn't mean we don't get involved in the things of this world. It just means that we have an ultimate victory and we put that in perspective. That ultimately, Jesus will physically sit on his throne. And that's the king we serve. So it doesn't matter what happens. Yes, we could synthesize that and, and talk through that. But ultimately, we serve a king. Yet many of us are living in the bondage of the now. The bondage of the now that binds you with this fear and anxiety. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen with this person, that person? Jesus says, just submit to me. I'm your king. We see a heart of worship lives every day, every single day at the foot of the cross. We read in the very end of Psalm 22, he has done it. He has done it. And we remember Jesus as he's on this cross. Before he gives up the spirit, he says, it is finished. And every time that they struck the hammer with the nails that were going through his hands or his feet, there was this loud shout, this loud proclamation. He has done it. He has done it. He has done it. No more alienation from God. He has done it. Restoring our human dignity. He has done it. Giving us purpose and identity. He has done it. Never abandoning us. He has done it. Forgiving us of all unrighteousness and giving us eternal life in Him. He has done it. Loving us without measure. He has done it. And when we live at the foot of the cross and we lay all of our burdens at His feet with total trust, and adoration, we proclaim in our lives, He has done it. So, war is complex. And life in this intersection of the cross is complex. And this time tomorrow, you're going to feel the tension. You're going to feel the tension of living in this intersection of the cross. So I have to ask you, what do you need to crucify and just cast at the foot of the cross right now? What is it in your life? You have these, these pieces of paper. And if you didn't get one, we'll have the ushers pass one, pass one over mine. I'm going to ask you to just set this aside for right now. And we're going to explain what to do with those in a minute. But I just want to give praise to God and ask that he would just work in our hearts at this time. It's time just to get real and time to just cast whatever we have, whatever, whatever fear, anxiety, whatever, whatever Jesus has already paid for at the foot of his cross. So let me pray for us. Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for what your son has done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bearing the weight of our sin, bearing the weight of everything for us. I pray that the fullness of your Holy Spirit would expose these things. These things that you know that we try to hide from people. I pray that we would just live at the foot of your cross knowing that you have done it. That it is finished. And we live in victory. Your victory. So we love you, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name.
Amen.